Good morning. My name is Zachary Stefanuk, and my pronouns are he and him. And I will be pastoring here with Waldo Mennonite for the coming spring and summer. Welcome here, everyone, those who are meeting in person and those who are meeting on Zoom. I'd like to take the first couple minutes to tell you a bit about myself. I was born to Barb and Terry Stefanuk on June 12th of 1998. And I understand that some of you may know my mom's parents, Tony and Jacqueline Funk. As a child, I had a good life. I went to church every Sunday, ate very good food, and had fun with my older brother, Matthew, and younger sister, Vanessa. But, as someone wiser than me once said, all good things must come to an end. In the fall of 2010, my mom died of kidney cancer. And this was a hard time for me and my whole family. But I think it made our bond stronger. My family has since moved to Hague, and we now attend Ulster Mennonite, where we hold our memberships. Following two years spent at RJC, I went to CMU where I studied for five years and made very dear friends and had the opportunity to live in an intentional community and that was one of the best years of my life. Once I finished my undergraduate degree at CMU, I wasted no time and went straight to Conrad Grable in Waterloo where I've spent the past two years getting my master's in theology. But enough about me. It's time to move on to the sermon itself. This is the second week of a sermon series in which we look at pieces of the Bible which can be a challenge to understand. And we choose to dive headfirst into examining those passages. The Bible is full of passages that can seem contradictory or difficult to translate into a modern context. However, it is my belief that when we come across these challenging parts of Scripture, we should embrace that challenge. One way we can do this is by thinking about what Scripture may have meant in the ancient Middle Eastern context of when it was written. And that is what I strove to do with these scripture passages. And today's scripture seems like an odd combination of verses. We have a ruler and priest blessing Abram, Jesus proclaiming his own messiahship, and Paul telling the church in Ephesus that God is one. How are all these passages related? You will be pleased to know that these passages can, in fact, be woven together. First, let's look at the passage from John. This comes from the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus and his disciples are traveling, and they're going through Samaria and need to get some water to drink. An unnamed Samaritan woman appears at the well, at which point Jesus asks, for a drink of water. Knowing that he is a Jew, 
The Samaritan woman asks how he could ask such a thing of her, since the Samaritan and Jews were known to be enemies. Jesus tells her that he is the living water, and all who drink of his water would never thirst again. And that brings us to the text that was read earlier, where Jesus tells the woman that he is the salvation which comes from the Jews. This is the first instance in John's gospel where Jesus clearly states that he is the Messiah. It is worth noting that the first person to be told this is a Samaritan woman, and that Jesus' disciples are not present when he makes this claim. The Gospel of John was written for the Gentile reader, and while Jews certainly make appearances, Jesus has a much stronger relationship with the Gentiles. John's Gospel tells the reader that Jesus did not come only to teach the Jews, but also to welcome the Gentiles into the family of God. It can be a challenge for people to welcome strangers into their family. Jews had spent centuries being the sole community that worshipped their God. This was so extreme that even Jewish law stated that Jews must not marry locals so that they may keep their faith in God. With that context, it would be a shock for Jesus' disciples to see him in deep theological discussion with a Samaritan woman and telling her that Gentiles would be welcomed to worship the same God that Jews worship. Jesus, who was a Jew himself, challenged the Torah, which he himself studied as a young man. It is strange to see a man who studied and followed the Torah deliberately choose to go against it. This is just one of the many times when Jesus' logic is hard to follow. If you want more examples of Jesus talking in riddles, you must look no further than most, if not all, of his parables. When I read the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, I see a God who welcomes a stranger into a warm embrace. More so, perhaps, than those who have grown comfortable in God's family. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus reminds the reader again and again that God looks out for those in need. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. The Bible is strange in that it can be self-contradictory at times. In the Old Testament, Jews were seen as those in need, and they needed to preserve their faith. They did so by observing laws which would maintain the cultural and spiritual heritage of Judaism. However, by the time of the New Testament, it appears that God felt as if there were a new group of people who needed to be looked out for. So, God used a Jewish man to welcome the stranger into God's family. Foreigners have always played a significant part in the biblical narrative. 
Joseph's family were foreigners when they migrated to Egypt. Foreigners would frequently invade Israel. And the list goes on. One common theme when it comes to foreigners is they do not often get the chance to be a blessing on Israel. One of the exceptions is Melchizedek. This king and priest shows up out of nowhere and just randomly blesses Abram. Why would the king of Sodom, who also for some reason is a priest, suddenly appear and bless Abram and Abram's God? What narrative and theological purpose does this serve? Perhaps the writer of Genesis wanted to reaffirm the strength of God. By having a foreigner be a priest of Yahweh and bless that same God and Abram, the text suggests that God can be with more people than just the family of Abram, who eventually would become Israel and the Jews. Again, we find more examples of Jewish law being challenged. This encounter adds a different layer to Jewish law observance than Jesus did. The Jewish laws were not put into place until after the exodus from Egypt, and since Abram and Melchizedek lived long before then, they would not have been aware of the gravity of their encounter. The story of Melchizedek is indeed odd that he appears out of nowhere and suddenly disappears. The quick cameo may suggest that sometimes in life it is the rare and quick encounters that we remember as being a blessing. Blessings can come from anyone and anywhere. It may not make much sense how the blessing came to be, but God is mysterious and can surprise us with blessings when we least expect it. Melchizedek encourages us to be a blessing on those whom we encounter in our daily lives. It does not matter if we come from different cultures. What matters is we show the love of God to our global neighbors. I heard a story this week which reminded me of blessings coming from the most unexpected places. A man whom I shall call Troy was in the hospital recovering from surgery. Troy states that after the surgery, his doctor walked up to him, said, you have cancer, and walked away. As one can imagine, Troy was distraught and immensely upset with the doctor because of their lack of care in the moment. That night, a Muslim nurse comes to Troy's room to check on his vitals. And while doing so, she began chatting with Troy and mentioned that she was a leader in her Muslim community. She put in the time and effort to be a calming presence for Troy by sharing her life story and providing Troy with the space to do the same. In recounting this story, Troy mentioned that this was a blessing. Yet again, a complete stranger walks into a man's life and surprises him 
by offering an unexpected blessing. That is what I find to be powerful in the oddity of Melchizedek and Abram. You do not need to know a person to bless them. Therefore, we can be a blessing to anyone in our world when we choose to live in God's love and share that love which has been given to us. Which brings us to the third piece of scripture found in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. It has a clear theme of unity throughout. Everything is one. I'm pretty sure every third word is one. What brings strangers into the mix of this unity is verse 5. There is one Savior, one faith, and one baptism. I find that this verse welcomes all people into the one faith. There is nothing suggesting that the one faith belongs to Jesus or Jews or Christians. The verse simply states that there is one Savior. All are welcome to embrace that Savior and choose the path which Jesus lays before his followers. God is in everything we see and everything we do. When we take walks along the river, God is there. When we grieve the loss of a dear friend, God is also there. Even when we do not recognize it, God is always present. What I find to be the pivotal point of today's passage from Ephesus is its ending. One God and creator of all, who is over all, who works through all, and who is within all. God has created this world we inhabit. Everything we see is created by God. God works through people who may be our enemies or strangers along a dusty road. Paul wanted the church in Ephesus to know that they are welcome in God's family. Even though they are Gentiles, they are just as welcome as Jews are. Paul was a significant advocate for Gentile Christian followers. His work in the early church told the Jews and Christians that they both are welcome to worship the same God and follow that God's way to righteousness. The theme for this series is more beautiful than we imagined. Throughout today's scripture, one theme is clear to me. That theme is as follows. Encounters with strangers can be more beautiful than we imagined. A Samaritan woman randomly encounters a strange man who tells her that he, as a Jew, will save the nations. Abram meets a foreign king and priest on a journey and is validated in his faith. God is one in all these encounters. If God can be indivisibly in all things and all people, then chances are that most blessings we receive in life come from God. Ephesians ties all these passages together. Paul tells us that God is in the unexpected places, with the Samaritan woman at the well and with Melchizedek. 
Now the question is this. What can we do with these passages in today's context? One way that we can apply these passages to our lives is embrace the possibilities of blessings. If you feel you should tell a teacher that they are doing a good job teaching your child, then tell them so. If you have had exceptional service at a restaurant, thank your server. We do not always need to do big, grand gestures. A simple thank you can go a long way. Melchizedek, the Samaritan woman, and Paul all tell us that blessings are going to be a surprise sometimes. The blessing might not even make sense in the moment. When we receive unexpected blessings, it is important that we take a moment to stop and thank God for that blessing. It also would be a good idea to pay it forward and bless another person who you think deserves it. When we bless others in our world, we live into the strange yet everlasting love which God has blessed all of us with. Let us pray. God of creation, we thank you for this day. Thank you for gathering us here in person and through Zoom. Thank you for the blessings you gave us throughout this week. Thank you for standing beside us through our struggles. May we go into this coming week at peace, knowing that you are a God of blessings who never leaves our side. Amen.